0: Sit back, relax, and listen to episode 150 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. And this podcast features news, interviews, and analysis on the trends and best practices all around wealth management technology. Our topic for this month is ESG data. We chose this because we felt it was an area that's very hot in the industry. Uh, it's, a lot, it's trending now in the news, getting a lot of coverage, and we wanted to know more about how the sausage is made behind the scenes. How is the data gathered? How is it analyzed? How is it reviewed? We only hear more about the output. We do only hear about the back end. Um, so that's where we're interested in is, is the data and where it's coming from and how it's being uh, formed. And I was excited, excited to get today's guest, Elena Filipova from Refinitive, mainly because Refinitive has been a leader in ESG data and reporting. But before I get into that, let me first expound on how important data is to the success of any ESG initiative, or basically any technology-driven program for that matter. This is why Ezra Group launched our data assessment service for enterprise wealth management firms. We conduct an in-depth review of your current data sources, downstream consumers, data utilization, and data infrastructure for a target area of your firm. Then we deliver a comprehensive strategy and roadmap to get your data architecture under control. For more information on Ezra Group's data assessment service, please go to EzraGroupLLC.com. And a couple of quick housekeeping notes before we continue. Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Make sure to check out our sponsor, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation at investinothers.org. And now, let's kick this thing off. I'm very happy to introduce our next guest on the program. It is Elena Filipova. Director of Sustainable Finance for Refinitiv, which is part of the London Stock Exchange Group. Hello, Elena, welcome to the program.
1: Hello, and thank you for having
0: me. It's wonderful for you to be here. Uh, Where are you calling in from?
1: I'm uh, joining
0: today from Switzerland. Wonderful, so nice to speak to you uh, in Switzerland. I'm in lovely New Jersey in the US, so power of technology brings us together. Uh, so let's kick things off. We're talking about uh, ESG and ESG data on uh, this as, um, as podcast. So can you give us a 30-second elevator pitch for the Sustainable Finance Group at Refinitiv? Um,
1: happy to. So at Refinitiv, um, we've been providing ESG data to the global financial community for close to 20 years now. So we're, we've definitely been uh, pioneers in the sustainable finance industry. And the primary purpose that we are um, solving for and servicing the industry with is uh, translating sustainability data, which is not necessarily um, financially fit or fit for purpose to be used by financial professionals in its raw form, and transforming it into actionable and investor uh, ready data sets that can inform and enhance uh, investment and financing decisions made by our clients.
0: Excellent, thank you for that. So so diving into ESG data, maybe I think it would help uh, the audience if you kind of gave an overview of ESG data around specifically on the ESG data related to uh, wealth management.
1: Yeah, ESG data is a term that's been around for more than 20 years now, um, and it's not necessarily a new data set. Um, it exists for decades. Previously, it used to be defined as sustainable, responsible investments data or SRI data. Um, but what um, is what is included in, in ESG has evolved over time, and it's changing very much. Um, very rapidly, primarily because of two main reasons. One is um, definition standards around the world are evolving in terms of what ESG data for um, investors and and wealth in particular users needs to look like so that it's relevant, material, actionable, um, so that it's less noisy, so to speak, ESG data currently uh, some uh, view as as a noisy data set. And to reduce that noise, it's really important to to drive towards um, global consistent definitions and standards. So that's one of the drivers. And another driver is regulation. We've seen the role of regulators in this space. escalating and accelerating very rapidly in in recent years around the world. And this force, um, or what we call a push factor, is pushing integration and incorporation of ESG factors in no investment financing decisions. As such, uh, finance professionals require data to be able to firstly diagnose uh, their uh, portfolios, product strategies, Um, exposure to sustainability related risks, but equally to sustainability related opportunities. And secondly, build strategies that allow them to um, execute on different objectives that they have or that their customers um, have asked for and measure, monitor progress against those objectives. So data really underpins uh, the, the full value chain and what is ESG data has evolved in recent years to a lot more clear data sets of sustainability-related teams, KPIs, and metrics that um, companies, financial firms, um, and anyone else uh, that uses the data is um, required to start measuring and reporting against.
0: I thought that was interesting you called uh, your, your use of the term push factor.
1: Yes, uh, what we've seen in the market is very interesting dynamics. Um, until a few years ago, um, it's the pull factor that has led to the state of the industry. Um, And what I mean by a pull factor, it's market led initiative. It's it's the investors um, that have been demanding from companies to receive ESG data. Um, but in and and this has been going on for quite some time and we've been seeing incremental improvements year after year. But the the speed with which the industry has ad- adopted and understood sustainability has not been sufficient. Therefore, regulators, I think, have realized that they have a really important and urgent role to play mm. in creating that push factor that accelerates adoption of sustainability and ESG data across the financial industry but also players in the financial industry. Indeed. Um, So the combination of of the two um, is what we believe creates um, a new norm in capital markets, Mm -hmm. which is here today.
0: You also mentioned uh, sustainability-related opportunities. Can you give me an example of a sustainability-related opportunity that that wealth management firms or fintechs could um, be open to?
1: happy to, and i think the 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 easiest and the most obvious example is related to climate change and the decarbonization of of the economy and the race to net zero um what's what that means is that there will be no industry there will be no single company that doesn't get impacted by this uh, transformation Many will, uh, emerge as leaders, those that innovate and create the technologies of the future that solve for, uh, for the climate challenges across their industry. Um, and the companies that, um, choose to sit on the sideline and watch and kind of continue with the business as usual mode, um, face, uh, an ever increasing risk of, uh, being left behind because I think that it is no longer uh, a debate of if and why. Um, the conversation is about how and how quickly.
0: Indeed. So let's move on so to the the
1: opportunity and just a, a one a one of the oh, comments, sure. that the opportunities that that I'm referencing are also not only kind of financial opportunities and uh, innovation-led opportunities to support the. Uh, the transformations that are happening and are going to continue to happen across the global economy. But it's, it's even more fundamental in terms of um, in terms of just sustaining economic growth and job creation. Um, I think there's been quite a lot of uh, literature and examples um, that prove sustainability transition is and will continue to be one of the the major sources of economic growth and job creation. Whether it's uh, at a country level or at a, at a sector level, at a company level, there are numerous examples out there that speak uh, volumes about that.
0: Let's talk more about uh, ESG data uh, specifically and around um, the process of Gathering it and accessing it. So, what what makes it ESG difficult? ESG data so difficult to collect and access?
1: Um, that's a great question. And um, interestingly enough, in our conversations with um, wealth managers, with advisors, and other customers that we service with ESG data. Um, one of the key reasons of, um, kind of reluctance to roll out more broadly sustainability across the, the portfolios and products of our customers is, is the, the challenges around ESG data. So ESG data very frequently is quoted as the reason number one for reluctance and slowing down adoption. And from my perspective, I think that um, this is human nature uh, going full speed. Um, human nature is such that it's reluctant, reluctant to change and um, we also like to procrastinate. Um, so we look for reasons and excuses to be lazy, <laughs> to push back on change. Um, and data, ESG data, has been used as one of those reasons most frequently, uh, because the data set is quite different. It's not um, a typical data set that the financial industry is used to deal with. Um, it's patchy. It has gaps. It has holes in the data. Um, unlike financial data, for example, which is mandatory and and all companies have to report on a consistent frequency within a consistent template following the same accounting rules. This is not the case with ESG data. ESG data up until very recently has been reported by companies on a voluntary basis. most of the time and even if it's numeric it's not in units that the financial industry is used to deal with it's not it's usually not in money or in percentages most of the time It's in tons um, for example greenhouse gas emissions in tons or energy in megawatt hours or injuries uh, per um, 100 employees and so on so the type of data is is a different data set And that makes it for some users scary to to face and deal with. But on the contrary, over all of those years that we've been servicing the financial industry and and different wealth managers, um, we've seen numerous examples of uh, users building very successful uh, investment strategies. Um, enhancing conventional products to overlay them with sustainability considerations, whether that's overlaying them with an overall ESG score, or with some of the uh, more granular components like uh, intensity uh, ratios or um, even board independence. There are a number of very widely used ESG metrics within the, the world management firms to screen uh, on and provide solutions that um, respond to requirements of of the retail investors, of the end users. And if you think about it, I mean, all of us, um, it's quite natural that we want to preserve our environment. It's quite natural that we we want to see people being treated fairly um, and that they are, fundamental human rights being respected by institutions, uh, including our pension funds or institutions that we uh, invest our wealth uh, into. Um, most of the time, it is lack of knowledge that leads to a lot of the capital being allocated into organizations that um, retail investors would not be happy to, to find out that they are financing. So it's about knowledge, and that's what data provides. Data provides knowledge, and knowledge leads to accountability. And this is what uh, is is really required for capital markets to uh, be able to service society.
0: So talking about the data set, the ESG data set, how different it is, how patchy it is, the gaps, the holes you mentioned, and you also mentioned it's a noisy data set. How does Refinitiv go about cleaning the data to turn it into a a better data set that that can be used uh, in wealth management?
1: And This has been um, exactly what we've been doing for all these years. It's um, about taking a um, non-financial data set that tends to be very much narrative. So it's unstructured data for the vast majority of it and transforming it into um, investment-grade uh, data sets. Let me maybe start by explaining what, from our perspective, an investment-grade data sets is. Um, this is a data set that is, firstly, reliable and trusted. Secondly, it's numeric, it's quantitative, it's consistent, comparable, and it's auditable, it's transparent. So the way we do that is by well firstly mobilizing a very significant team of experts and specialists that are trained on reading through hundred those hundreds of pages that are usually included in sustainability reports and extracting the data in a consistent comparable way so we've provided um so we've broken all of the ESG questions into components to simple questions where the chance of subjectivity and not comparability of the data is minimum and the analysts follow very specific guidelines when they find when they look for answers to those questions so for example um if a company is uh, publishing its, um, its climate-related strategy and talks about different processes in it and, and how they plan to achieve um, the decarbonization strategy and, and let's say the company has committed to net zero by 2030, we break it into, does the company have a policy? Yes, no, great. Is there a process? Yes, no. Is there a target? Yes, no. How much is the target? By what year? So you break up the text into very clear data points and KPIs, which if answered by different analysts, they will answer it the same way. And we preserve uh, the connection between the way that the company has reported the data and the metrics that are captured in our system. So everything is fully transparent leveraging click-through technology. And it is very similar to how um, our uh, fundamental data is also presented in our products to, to, the, to our clients. Uh, it is the same technology that powers that transparency from the, the aggregation and the overall scores back to the underlying inputs and metrics, and back to the actual source documents that we've used in collecting the data. Um, to give you just a few numbers, uh, our operations team—these are our uh, ESG uh, specialists—consists um, of more than 700 analysts, and we process data on 12,000 global organizations. It's a very labor-intensive and time-consuming process to to do that transformation of ESG reports and text into. Uh, investor-ready
0: uh, and actionable years today. I'd like to take a break from this episode to talk about our sponsor, the Invest in Others Foundation. The Invest in Others Foundation is running the Invest in Others Awards, which is a program that recognizes the charitable work of financial advisors in communities across the country and around the world. Awards are presented at their signature event, the annual Invest in Others Awards Gala. Over 600 advisors and financial services executives attend this premier event to celebrate those individuals that actively give back to their communities. I've gone to, I think the last three award galas, they had to cancel it for COVID and then they canceled it again last year, uh, 2021. Uh, There's normally in September, October timeframe, but hopefully they'll have it again this year. So there are five categories of awards that recognize, it, uh, recognize the distinct ways that advisors have made a difference through their work with a nonprofit. So the nominations deadline is April 1st. That's less than a month. Just go to investinothers.org and you can click on the nominate, uh, click here to nominate link and nominate an advisor. Um, If they win in one of the five categories, which are Catalyst Award, Community Service Award, Volunteer of the Year Award, Lifetime Achievement Award, and Emerging Impact Award, they can win, let's say, finalists in all categories, receive $25,000 for their charity. The winners in the Catalyst Community Service, Next Gen, and Volunteer of the Year categories receive $50,000. The advisor who uh, receives the Lifetime Achievement Award receives $75,000. That's a lot of money for a charity, can really help. I've uh, been lucky enough to be on the the nominated committee, no, the awards committee, the judging committee, for a bunch of these different awards, it's really hard. These advisors do some great work, both local communities in the US, in South America, in Central America, in Africa, in Asia, across the world, uh, and right here at home, all kinds of great uh, stories, great charities that help people of all uh, ages, shapes, and sizes. You should uh, uh, nominate someone and also donate. Your company will probably match your donation, which provides twice the benefit please go to investinothers.org thanks Yeah, 700 analysts processing data on 12,000 organizations is quite a huge uh, lift not something that any of many other companies could be able to handle and it's
1: and you do need a lot of um, specialized experience and expertise to do that as well Um, The the training cycle of uh, of our analysts is a lot longer than a typical training cycle um, to to collect any other data set. Uh, Because again, the the concepts, the topics that are covered under ESG data are um, so wide-ranging and you do need to be familiar with them to be able to synthesize and and extract meaningful data out of uh, the reports. Our analysts tend to specialize on industries because sustainability teams tend to be more relevant and material to certain sectors over others. So for example, um, climate change is certainly more relevant to oil and gas and um, transportation companies than uh, maybe um, financial institutions. Although we shouldn't undermine the importance of financial institutions through their indirect impact on climate via investments, they are accountable under their scope three emissions, also for the emissions um, put in the atmosphere by the companies that they invest in.
0: How many data sources does uh, Refinitiv aggregate in your data uh, sets?
1: So we um, capture ESG data from roughly about two dozen publicly available information sources, and maybe it's important to mention the reason to rely on public data only, uh, and that is to be able to provide an investment-grade data set that's trusted and reliable. Um, it is important to make sure that we take only credible data. And from our experience, if companies are reluctant to publish data in the public domain, uh, usually it's data quality tends to be uh, a lot lower. So about 20 or so sources are used in capturing ESG data, but those are um, specifically to the self-reported um, ESG data points. So whether that's the annual reports or 10 case of companies Um, different integrated reports, sustainability reports or GRI reports, the proxy statement. Then there are different committee charters, uh, code of conduct um, uh, documents, corporate governance reports, bylaws and constitution. I mean, a lot of the kind of sustainability information is embedded in the DNA of companies. So our analysts really need to go deep into the into the organization that they process data for to be able to extract the data. And in addition to that, we source data from a number of external to the company sources, like, for example, lobbying contributions um, or um, companies that are on the HRC uh, index. So there are some additional uh, sources that we also process data from, and this gives a view that um, we like to describe as inside-out view. So it allows users of the data to understand what companies put out about themselves. But our users um, would like to normally complement that with an outside-in view as well. So assess the. Perception about companies and are companies walking the talk? How are they viewed from the communities and societies uh, where they operate? So we also sur- a source um, ESG controversies from global um, editorials, including Reuters, um, but not limited. And um, through partnerships, we also uh, assess uh, sentiment from social media. So that allows clients to really do um, something like a balance scorecard and evaluate our company's um, walk-in-the-talk.
0: So when you're consolidating data from multiple sources, now these, and uh, you have about 20 public sources you mentioned, they each could use different methodologies, and those methodologies require <coughs> some estimates, maybe even some guesstimates, as to certain things, cause, you know, and you're trying to organize data which is not standardized. And oftentimes that data could have errors or, or, or a range of accuracy. Then you're compiling multiple data sources that have different ranges of accuracy, different estimates. How do you, what do you do with your methodology to ensure that these errors don't multiply as you put them together?
1: So there are two parts to your question. Um, the first is around uh, kind of compare ensuring comparability of the data because there is no one accounting standard. There is no one way to calculate and aggregate these data that companies can rely on for publishing it. There are different standards, different definitions. Um, some companies will. Um, Provide the ratios in a very inconsistent um, and not comparable way. So part of uh, a part of what we add on top of the data is ensuring that layer of standardization. But this is not very unique to only ESG data. It's, it's a similar, similar concept to even company financials. Um, there are different gaps in accounting standards, IFRS, US gaps, and, and so on. And uh, even within our financial data, we have what's called S-reported layer of the data. And some clients like to see the data in its raw form because it allows them to go deep into the unique nuances of individual companies. But equally, we offer a standardized layer, which allows users to have that comparable view across a portfolio of companies, across different sectors, geographies, um, and, and even asset classes. So, in ESG, we do the same approach, we, we capture the data as supported by the companies, we very diligently collect the units, definitions, and so on. And then, our technology, our um, solution that we've built to capture the data, um, 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 aggregates it and um, creates a standardized layer, so units are, con- are converted to the same same units, same ratios. Um, we also apply consistent accounting standards and definitions. So, for example, on uh, GHG emissions, some companies may uh, classify type of emission as Scope 2 emissions, and for other companies, it may be Scope 3 emissions. We apply the GHG protocol definitions and we make, reclassify the data to ensure that it's fully compare, comparable within the standardized layer of ESG data. So kind of this is the first side about comparability. Uh, the second part of your question, and very rightly so, is about data quality. And there's been, um, even, uh, uh, rising, uh, Concerns in the industry around greenwashing, and um, can ESG data be used with confidence um, to inform investment decisions and, and strategies? And are those strategies true to what they are uh, meant to to assess and deliver? Um, so data quality is uh, quite important in this space. And it again goes back to the fact that uh, there are no mandatory um, and widely agreed standards on how the data should be uh, published. Um, What we do at Refinity is um, because we've been pioneers in this space and we've been working with ESG data for for such a long time, we have a lot of history and uh, historical data and historical data is, is a very valuable uh, source of um, insights and information. So we, we use leveraging technology, we extract knowledge from the historical data that we apply to all new data that we capture. And we run hundreds of checks on the data that assess um, comparability, consistency, that assess correlated metrics, that assess uh, variants in data that's been captured for each industry, so for numeric metrics, we, we know within what range any data points to be. And this is quite useful to capture outliers and capture errors in companies' own reports. And we unfortunately still see those. Company may say that the data reported is in thousands, but actually we see it's missing three zeros. Um, so, what we do in those cases is um, we put the company on hold. We believe it's really important um, from an ESG perspective because the data is not market. It's it's not like other data sets real time. Um, it doesn't get refreshed every minute, every hour, every day, even. Um, so it's important to ensure its accuracy. And we put the data on hold. We contact the the companies. Um, we rectify the problem. Many times companies uh, say, yeah, there was a mistake in our report um, and they immediately make a correction. We then put the right number in the system. And that's what's used to to calculate the ESG scores of companies. And this is really important because the ESG scores are informed by uh, by all of the data in a data set in a peer group. relative to a peer group and if you have one significant outlier it can significantly impact the score of everyone else Um, and that can trigger a lot of um, uh, investment activities that are that are not desired so we've been putting a lot of emphasis um, when designing our tools to ensure that data is um, double, triple, and quadruple, quadruple qualify
0: quality controls um, before it's published to product. Elena, we are running out of time, but I wanted to squeeze in one more question, which I think would be helpful for our audience. Could you give us a quick, in just the next two minutes, an example of a use case where a fintech uh, or wealth management firm would be able to use your data? Maybe more on the fintech side, because I know you've got – you know, many, many partnerships with fintechs that use your ESG data.
1: Happy to, and and that's indeed um, what we've seen happening in in recent years is a lot of fintechs are entering the sustainable finance landscape because there are uh, endless opportunities. It's a field that's hungry for innovation, uh, and thus it makes it really attractive for fintechs. Um, However, as as I described, creating um, a consistent and rich enough ESG data set to be used to build those innovative solutions so for different sustainability use cases and challenges. Um, there needs to be um, a, a very uh, strong partner and that's what forfinitive has been viewed by many fintechs uh, that come to us and, and want to work to create those uh, solutions for um, for the financial industry of the future to enable more accelerated adoption of sustainability into core um investments and uh product design workflows and solutions. Um so we've we've done quite a number of those um um partnerships in recent months and years um, and we believe that they're a very important enabler for uh Adoption of sustainability globally at the pace that's needed Um, In terms of wealth management firms The use case there is we work with quite a large number of of, um, some of the largest wealth managers, and they use our data to um, Present it to to their advisors because the advisors are um, being asked by the end users and customers around sustainability uh, considerations more and more frequently um, and having access to the data allows the advisors to have the right conversations with their customers to uh, provide them with the, with the right advice that aligns with their personal beliefs and expectations that go beyond just pure financial performance uh, but also touch on sustainability, desires, and needs. Um, so it empowers them to, to have, again, knowledge and um, provide those, the right solutions at the hands of their customers.
0: Eleanor, that was an excellent answer, just in time. Uh, can you please let the audience know because we're, we're now done. Uh, can you give the audience uh, where they can find out more information about Refinitive Sustainable Finance?
1: We publish quite a lot of information on Refinitive dot com um, under ESG data. I would also encourage you to uh, follow um, our Refinitive Perspectives. There is a uh, options to select um, ESG as a team, and then you'll receive a lot of top leadership um, reports and blogs that we publish on the topic. And um, these are the main places to start with, and happy to uh, provide any additional support if needed.
0: Fantastic. Elena, thanks so much for being on the program.
1: Thank you for having me, Craig. and have a good day. Recording stopped.
0: Hey, it's Craig again. Here are my top three takeaways from this interview. Regulators are a push factor who are pushing integration of ESG into all investment decisions. Now, the question is, should regulators be doing this or should the government be doing this in general or should the decision be left up to investors whether or not they want ESG to be used? Number two, investment grade data is reliable, trusted, quantitative, consistent, comparable, auditable with the goal of minimizing subjectivity. Number three, Refinitiv's data operation team has over 700 analysts. That's crazy. Uh, but you can see the depth, the breadth and depth of their coverage where they cover over 12,000 organizations. And that's a wrap for this episode. Uh, thanks for listening. Please go to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you'll receive an email full of chuck. Uh, chuck full of wealth management goodness that includes news, analysis, information, links all kinds of things and you will not be disappointed thanks for listening and talk to you all again next time